If you have a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, these fine folks will give you one. Romans 7, and then hold your place there, and also Romans 12. Now, we've been going through the book of Romans, and we're undertaking uh, the start of uh, Romans chapter 12. But because we're immediately going to go into Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday, and we're going to kind of lose track, and I wanted to really develop Romans 12, I'm going to touch on it briefly, but go into greater detail on it when we get through the the Resurrection Sunday season, Easter season, and then we'll come back to it. But I I wanted to focus on something uh, interesting in relation to the Apostle Paul that brings us to Romans 12. You see, Romans 12, as we're going to read in a moment, is the fourth, what they call therefore, in the book of Romans. And as we've been studying, we know that when you see the word therefore, you have to say, what is it therefore? And, uh, and these four therefores are all listed, and we'll go over those in a moment, but we come to the fourth and final one, which is Romans chapter 12, and we're going to take a look at that. But how Paul gets us to this place, and there was an attribute in relation to Paul's life that allowed him to write this epistle that we've been blessed by. And I want you to see this great gift and this great characteristic of a man that was mythically attributed. I mean, it was, it was said of him in, in extra-biblical writings that he took this, this, um, this attribute to a mythical level. People were amazed. Even scripturally, they were amazed at the way he applied it in his life. And so we're going to see that. So start with, with me uh, in Romans chapter 7, and please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. I'm going to pick up at a passage we've already read, but it'll tie in. Romans chapter 7, we're going to pick up at verse 24. The Apostle Paul begins by saying, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And together, let's say the next three words. I thank God. Let's do it again. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And then he goes on to say, uh, in Romans 8.1, the third, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then now turn with me to Romans 12. This is, uh, these two verses, Warren Wearsby wakes up every morning, he's a great theologian, he's a pastor. He wakes up every morning and reads these, three, these two verses every morning. I love this man, and I can see why he's had such a fruitful life, if this is what fo- his focus is on. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, and, and it's a tender term. It means I, I lovingly beg you. It's, it's not exhortive. It's not angry. It's I, I lovingly beg you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, this is gratitude. It's an action, right? Paul says, I'm thankful, I thank God, and that thankfulness now translates into gratitude. Gratitude is action. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's our passage. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you for blessing our lives. And God, we come to a place this morning where we long to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and that, Lord, we would no longer be conformed to this world and its bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and hatred. We ask, God, that you do a new work in our lives, that you would establish us this day. 
by the study of your word and by the application of it. And Lord, we give you thanks. We love you. Bless us now, Lord, that we would glorify you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, have a seat. The Apostle Paul, as we read in Romans 7, said, I thank God. I thank God. And it wasn't the first time that he used that. As, as we saw Abby reflect in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, when give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul wrote that. Paul wrote in Romans 6.17, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered Paul wrote to the, the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. He says, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is inundated with thankfulness. He lists it in every one of his epistles. Paul overflowed with thankfulness, and thankfulness was related into gratitude. His life was one of service. Paul lived his life for others. Now, looking at Paul's life, there wasn't a lot to be thankful for. We've been going through the book of Acts, and it's, it's a story of blood and beating, uh, prison. Paul would even save himself in Corinthians. I was shipwrecked three times. I spent a night and a day in the deep. I've been flogged and beaten and whipped. I've been imprisoned. I've been left for dead. I've been stoned. I've been beaten with rods. And you read this, and, and as he's, he, he writes to the Corinthians that he'd been shipwrecked three times, and he spent a night and a day in the deep. And we were just on Wednesday night going through Acts 27, where he's going into another shipwreck. And this was a, a storm that lasted 14 days. Lawrence Sunderland, a shipwright, his family is all sailors. He just said, a storm of that magnitude lasting that long is, is unbelievable. Just so intense. They'd given up all hope of living. And he, he rallies everyone on board the ship. They, give, they break bread. They hadn't eaten in 14 days. They break bread. They give thanks. The ship is torn apart. Every person gets to shore alive. All their hope had been lost. They took all the grain that they were trying to transport from point A to point B to get some sort of return on investment. They had to throw that overboard. Their hope, financial, their hope, everything that the world puts hope in was lost. But they lived and they gave thanks. Paul gets to shore and as he's getting wood for everyone who's cold to build the fire, he reaches in and a viper bites him. The, the, the people of the island of Malta are shocked saying, well, obviously he's cursed because he survives a storm and is bitten by a poisonous viper. As they waited for him to de die, he shook the viper off, threw it into the fire and went back to gathering wood for all the people to serve them. And he lived. The whole island converts. Paul is just joyful and serving, joyful and serving. Gratitude, 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 action, action, action. Serving others. His body's broken, it's bruised. He's probably blinded from the endless beatings he'd received. Acts 27, he's, he doesn't have long to live. By the time he gets to Rome, he's gonna be beheaded. He was in prison with Silas early on in the book of Acts and they had beaten them and left them. They couldn't even see, they were bloodied and they were singing praises to the Lord and the, the cells, the earthquake shook, the ch chains came off. He went back for another beating so that he could save Cornelius and his family. Gratitude, action, continual action. 
And I was, I was touched by what Abby said in relation to Thanksgiving. I mean, we all practice that, don't we? We sit around the table and we take time to ask the kids, everyone say something you're thankful for. And I don't know about you, but it's been an exercise in futility at my home. I mean, you're just, you're looking at the turkey. You haven't eaten all day. You've been smelling it. You're like, yeah, yeah, I'm thankful. Let's eat. You know, it's like, and the locusts come in and the next herd of locusts come in and they bleach the bones and... There's a story, I don't know if it's true or not, but the family was seated around their Thanksgiving table, and as was their custom, as many of ours is in the room, everyone shared what they were thankful for, from the oldest to the youngest, and they each took their turn to express their praise, and when they came to the youngest of the family, a five-year-old, he began by looking at the turkey and expressing his thanks for the turkey, saying although he had not tasted it, he knew it'd be good. Then he thanked his mother for cooking the turkey and his father for buying the turkey, And then he said he was thankful for the grocery store for stocking the turkey and for the workers who put it in the refrigerator section for his dad to find. And then he said he was thankful for the checker at the grocery store who checked it out and he was thankful for the farmer who raised it and for the man who fed it and grew the grain and for for those who transported the turkey to the store. And having said all this, he looked up solemnly and he said, did I leave anyone out? And the older brother rolls his eyes and goes, oh God. And without batting an eye, the five-year-old turned to his brother and said, I was about to get to him. (laughs) This thankfulness, and I love what Abby said, the thankfulness is is a feeling, but, but gratitude is an action. And the Apostle Paul, in the book of Romans, reveals a great attribute he possesses, and that's thankfulness and gratitude. Thankfulness and gratitude. He would write the book of Romans long before he'd arrive in Rome. And he he said, I pray that my journey in in Romans chapter 1 is going to be profitable. And really the journey that he takes to Rome to come visit them, that's where the shipwreck occurred. He'd endured numerous beatings. And he got to Rome only to be beheaded, but he got to testify. God used him. And Paul would, would write this book to a church struggling. Struggling with with division and contention and prejudice. But throughout it, it was laced with thankfulness and gratitude. And when we read Romans 12, where Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I said this is the fourth therefore in this book that we've been studying together. The first one we found back in chapter 3. It was the therefore of condemnation where Paul wrote, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. We all got to Romans 3, and we saw that this therefore of condemnation, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all came into agreement when we read through Romans 1 and 2 that we looked around the room and we realized there's none perfect. No, not one. We're all in that boat together. And that's just what we can see, let alone what you're thinking secretly and what you've done in secret, Right? Right? Okay. And then in Romans 5, Paul would put another therefore in. It was the therefore of justification, which has relieved us as we've gone through this study of the book of Romans. And in this therefore of justification, he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That he's cast our sins as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. His blood has cleansed us of all unrighteousness, just as if I'd never sinned. We've gone through this this study of the word justification. And we all stand justified before God. He doesn't see us in our sin. He sees us in his son's righteousness. His righteousness has been put on our account. 
And, and we see this because we know the multitude of our sins. We, we, we saw the therefore of condemnation, and now we're experiencing the therefore of justification, and it's, it's, we're relieved. We're thankful. I mean, that weight has been lifted, amen? amen? But then it comes to this therefore of assurance, because the minute that we find ourselves forgiven, we go back out and we do the same thing again, don't we? Okay, man, work with me here. It's a question that I need response from. We go out and do the same thing again, right? Yes. Yeah, and if, you're, if you don't want to say right because you don't believe it, you have way bigger issues. And we'll have to talk later. We, and, 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 then, and then our conscience messes with us. Well, maybe we weren't saved because we return, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a man returns to his sin, the scripture says. We find ourselves guilty and condemned and, and we struggle over this and we have this, this struggle over our, our, our conscience condemning us. Condemning us. And, and one of the anchors is that we have a good conscience. That's what keeps us from shipwreck. But when we, we struggle with that conscience, we're struggling overall and God wants to assure us that what he's begun, he's faithful to complete, and he has been placed in the Father's hand. No man can remove, and so he gives us a therefore, and this is important, he gives us a therefore of assurance. And we saw that with Romans 8.1. There's, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw in Romans 5.1. But now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have, we have the therefore of condemnation, the therefore of justification, and now, thank God, the therefore of assurance. And then our heart is settled again, and we, we operate. Wait a minute, I'm not condemned. I, I, I can keep a right account with God, the, forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead, and it realigns us with the Lord. And we keep seeing, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. We start to realize really what he's forgiven us from. And then Paul takes us to the fourth and final therefore, and it's important. And we're going to build on this in the coming weeks after we get through Easter. But the fourth and final therefore is what we read in Romans 12. And it's the therefore of surrender, or better yet, the therefore of application. By gratitude. Realizing that we had the therefore of condemnation and then God gave us the therefore of justification and we have the therefore of assurance. What is our response? Is it just an emotional thankfulness or does it translate into action and gratitude? Therefore, is Paul is saying, even though we're guilty and deserve to die, we've been declared righteous through faith in Christ and we'll never face condemnation and so when we see Paul say, I beseech you, therefore, I beg you, lovingly and tenderly, I beg you, I beg you to, to present, or by, the, by the tender mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Don't live for yourself anymore. Die to yourself, live to Christ. Let go of the bitterness and the hatred and the anger and the unforgiveness. This is acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, when Paul would say, thanks be to God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, you can sense his excitement about it. He, he reflects with joy in every circumstance and writes these words. And they're, they're not just something he's penning because you're supposed to do that. He lived them. He's expressing them. And, and as we, we saw in the text that we read, he's thankful throughout all of his epistles. Paul was excited about giving thanks to God and this idea of gratitude by action. 
And what led him to be so excited about Jesus as a savior? What was the secret of it? Because quite honestly, in the body of Christ, we struggle. We struggle with being grateful. We struggle with being thankful. But what was it that led Paul to be so excited about the Lord? I would say hold that question back in your mind for a second because I want to read to you what inspired him in regards to this attitude of being so thankful and excited about Jesus. Turn with me to Luke 7, would you? Luke 7. We're going to pick up in a story that's very, very profound. Verse 36. See if you can find what made Paul so thankful to Jesus. Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman, this is Luke 7, verse 36, now 37. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, which means a prostitute, When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to himself, not audibly so that Jesus could hear, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who... And what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answered and said to him, even though he didn't ask the question out loud, and neither did Simon, which is the same one and the same. He said, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, Simon, therefore, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more, right? And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. He gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, uh, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. You see, the secret to Paul and his gratitude is simply this. He who has been forgiven little, loves little. That's what the text said. He who has been forgiven little, loves little. But people who have been forgiven little are also not very thankful. Most bitter people I know. People who have been forgiven little are really excited about Jesus because that was the reason Jesus came, was to forgive their sin. But the thing is, Paul loved Jesus. He loved him. Paul was excited about Jesus. And one of the reasons why is Paul couldn't contain his excitement about the Lord because he knew how much God had forgiven him for when Paul says, thanks be to God, he wasn't praising God for, for material things. You see, Paul knew what he'd been forgiven from and for. I don't think we realize how ugly our sin is. 
I mean, it looks awful on somebody else, and we, we tend to let them know that. But an examination of our own life, we become bitter and irritated at other people. And to the level we forgive, we will be forgiven, but we hold on to this bitterness. The Apostle Paul had no time for bitterness. He had no time to harbor anger towards those who beat him. You just take a look at Paul's life as we've been doing on Wednesday nights. I'd encourage you to come out. You grow leaps and bounds because we go through a different book of the Bible, but we go in greater depth on Wednesday nights. And you look at Paul's life. This is a man that was given orders to kill Christians. And he did. He made many homes fatherless and, and, and many wives widowed. He, he was holding the cloaks as they stoned Stephen and killed him. With these orders, he traveled all over the known world to go kill Christians. And on, on one journey, leaving with, with full assurance and full authority and, and empowered by the highest levels of government, he was off to kill Christians. And there on the road to Damascus, God struck him off his high horse. And Paul, who was self-justified, started to realize the magnitude of his sins. And I believe in everyone's life, there won't be gratitude in action until we've come to realize what really what is revival. It's judgment day. It's where we see the magnitude of our sins and the immensity of God's forgiveness that turns us to be grateful and operate. We still harbor. We still think people owe us something. We're willing to be forgiven the debt we owe, but we hold to others what they owe us. We're not loving, we're bitter. Paul gets knocked off his white horse and, and there he is. Christians don't want anything to do with him. Jews don't want anything to do with him. He's, he's a penny looking for change. And, and it's Ananias and, and Barnabas who come alongside him and he spends years in the backside of the desert studying and just a recluse and finally is introduced back into the church where they're scared to death of him but because of an introduction of a man who was willing to forgive Paul and introduce him to the body of Christ, they embraced him. Now, people say, well, you know, I'm mistreated in the church because they see the multitude of my sin and they're unwilling to... Well, you know what? Paul had a multitude of sin and he didn't hold it over them for being unforgiving. Paul walked in and served them. There was no bitterness in Paul's life and he knew what he had done. It was easy for him to love people who had done things to him. That's the idea. You don't come in going, you know, I'm forgiven from the Lord and you need to forgive me. Just put that aside. God's forgiven you. Forget about the attitude of others. Just serve them. While we were yet sinners, God died for us. He loved us while we were yet sinners. You don't have to wait for somebody to love you to serve them. That's an attitude of the heart. It's gratitude towards the Lord, not bitterness towards the person that's hurt you. And Paul walked in and he served. And and what did he get in return? Everywhere he went, they beat him. He was imprisoned everywhere he went. He was blinded and bloodied and, and, and bruised. And it was awful what he'd endured. And I see these things and my heart gets so heavy because Paul's gratitude was towards the Lord because he saw the immensity of his sin. One of the most grateful human beings I've ever had the privilege of meeting. And her her life was lived in such a way of gratitude. Putting aside all of her struggles, all of her issues, you didn't even know about them. She would be here every Sunday pouring into the body of Christ, wearing a wig with no hair because she's in second year of stage four cancer. And from the world's perspective, she could have whined and complained. Even when we went for the, to, to, to her anniversary where they were celebrating uh, the, the renewal of their vows and her body was riddled with cancer and, and for her to concentrate on a thought and just reflect on it took every portion of her being. And you know what she did with that? 
She blessed everyone who was in the room. It was Ruth Sasowski. Rich, you're back there. When are we celebrating her service? Five p.m. Come out. This is a saint in our fellowship. She prayed with many of you up here. You didn't even know she was going through stage four cancer. She was pouring into you. You didn't know anything about her. She put it aside for the sake of all of you. I look at that and I think the contrast of it. I I was invited to go to Mrs. Reagan's funeral service because uh, I'm a public official in Ventura County. And I sat right by the door. I got to see all the folks coming in. I filmed it and everything. I saw everybody. And I remember sitting through the service and, and Prime Minister Mulroney from Canada during the time of Reagan's term of office, he spoke. Amazing man. And he, he had such gratitude and thankfulness to Ron and Nancy Reagan. And the story he shared was touching. And he read a letter that Ron, Ronald Reagan had written to Nancy Reagan. And there wasn't a dry eye in the house. And he spoke of, of gratitude towards them as a couple and the, and, and the love they had for each other. Tom Brokaw was just as endearing and, and Diane Sawyer, each of them sharing and it was touching. But I have to tell you, and this happened at Ronald Reagan's funeral as well, when two of the children spoke, I was, I was saddened. And, and I, I realized that they may have been great leaders of the nation and, and maybe not the best of parents. But... I, what I struggled with was not what they said, but I hurt for them. I hurt for them because they couldn't let go. Her daughter spoke, her son spoke, and, and, and there, there was, there was, you could sense the anger and the hurt. And I thought, you're in a prison. And all I could do for them was pray. And I say all I could do is the greatest thing I could do. But I was limited and I couldn't talk to them. I would have shared with them these words. But I prayed for them. I prayed that God would release them and set them free, that they could have gratitude and thankfulness. They were embittered and imprisoned. The, the people that held them imprisoned, whether they were bad parents or not, and history will declare that, but we did hear by their expressions that they were hurt. And, and the mother and the father are both in the grave and they can't let it go. They can't let it go. And really what they're saying is you have more power in the grave than I do have alive. And it's affected me. And I want everyone to know. At a funeral, the Bible says forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead is to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. You don't do that at a funeral. You focus on those things of their life. It's to remember them. And, and I say that because one of, probably my best friend, his father was awful. He had every reason to hate him. He'd remarried and the stepkids inherited everything and his brother died of drug use and his mother was, you know, in a, just awful what they've endured. And and. and he, at the funeral, he was treated as a second-class citizen because the, 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 the step-siblings got first priority. I watched that at Ronald Reagan's funeral, Michael Reagan walking behind as he adopted one. And you look at that and you think, really? And I watched my friend go through this and 
He never was embittered to his father. He witnessed him to the end and he shared Jesus with him and his dad came to Christ because he never let go. And you know what? Give thanks in all things. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He never looked at his father as anything but a gift from God. Because Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good with those who called to God and called, who love God and called according to his purpose. My father was an instrument assigned by the Lord to make me who I am today. And I have no bitterness to my father. He did the best he could with what he knew. I say this because why is it that we would harbor hatred towards a parent? Because they've hurt us. Right? But the question is, if God has forgiven you, so you ought to forgive one another. Do you think that any of us in here have hurt God as much as your parents have hurt you? Yes. We've, we, we've committed cosmic treason. But our parents' sin looks far worse than our own. Oh, we'll receive the thankfulness and it's a, a good feeling to have our sins lifted. But I'm embittered to everyone who's ever perpetrated anything upon me. And I will never forgive them. <laughs> and you know what that makes you? Bitter. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Therefore, I beg you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Die to yourself and live to Christ. This is your reasonable service. This is your gratitude. This is your, your love in action. Do not be conformed to this world. The, the world is bitter and unforgiving. Don't be like them. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As Christ has forgiven you, so forgive one another. This is the kingdom of God. That you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. You want to be in the will of God? Be grateful. And I think about how shallow we are in gratitude. When the Apostle Paul was praising God, he didn't say, God, I want to give thanks for the house that I live in, and I want to give thanks for the money that's in the bank, and I want to give thanks for the possessions I own and the car that I drive, and, 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 I, and, I, and for the bling that I wear. Now, it's not a bad thing to be thankful for possessions, amen? It's not a bad thing to be thankful for possessions, but the bad thing is to be grateful for the earthly comforts you enjoy if it just stops there. The main focus of our thanksgiving, if it's just earthly possessions, will create an enormous problem in your life. You're very shallow. The reason why is, what happens to you when you lose your possessions? I used to have this, and I used to have that, and I used to have this, and I was this, and I was that, and God's taken it all. Aren't you a believer? Yes, but... He's just got it out for me. When you no longer have your earthly comforts, what happens to your thankfulness? When you lose your home, your car, your family, like Job, yea, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. What happens when you lose your health, like Job did? I watched my brother, John Achenbach, over here. I visited him in the hospital. He's gone through more surgery than the Pope has appointments. And if I want to have my day, day brightened, I call John. In the midst of his pain, he'll blow sunshine my way and pray for me because he's great, grateful. If you suddenly lose those things, you also lose your ability to be thankful if it's all about earthly possessions. And by the way, the things of this earth are transitory. Ruth understood that, right, Rich? 
They don't last long. And they break and they get lost. They get stolen. They deteriorate. They die. And there's not a thing you can do to stop it. My parents were, were military. My dad was a military officer. Every two years we moved. They had pieces of furniture that they would wrap so delicately. And the Navy movers would come in. And they would bubble wrap it and foam wrap it and, you know, pad wrap it and whatever. And then when they'd get to the new location, my mother would set it up meticulously. And she would vacuum the carpet with this pattern. And you weren't allowed to you had to fly from one room to the next just to <laughs> get there. And don't you touch that. And, and they labored for years as children. We were never even allowed to go around those pieces. And and all of it was just so important, so important to them. We never went to church, but these things were so important to them. And I remember when she was dying of lung cancer and they put everything in a box. And while she was dying, she never once asked about her possessions, not once. She had come to Christ and she was pouring her life into others with the last breath that remained in her body. She got it. And those things were irrelevant. As a matter of fact, we didn't even want to open it. Nobody even wanted the burden. And I remember when I finally opened it, it was like a year and a half later, and we opened this storage unit. And most of it we threw away. And some of these precious pieces we brought in, and it took like a week or two for one of my kids to break it. <laughs> and, and I remember just this week going over to Molly's house and, and, and I see this dresser system that my parents, is ancient and it came from Japan and it's so precious and da, 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 da. And I just had seen Oliver just going to town with it on a hammer, you know? <laughs> and my mother is in heaven going, do it, Oliver, just knock it to pieces. Bless your little heart. Because <laughs> all things are made known and she gets it. Paul based his thanksgiving on something entirely else besides earthly possessions. You'll lose your gratitude when you lose your earthly possessions if that's all it's based on. Paul's thanksgiving was based on the mercy and the forgiveness he had received from God. Did you hear that? Paul's thanksgiving was based on the mercy and the forgiveness that he had received from God. These people understood the message Paul was trying to get across. True thanksgiving is more basic than simply trying to put out a list of blessings, materialistically speaking. Pay attention to this and we'll close with it. True thanksgiving is based on how much we really love God. Let me say that again. True thanksgiving is based on how much we really love God. Not our things. True love for God starts with realizing how much he's forgiven you. I don't think we realize what a mess we are. But by contrast, he who's been forgiven much loves much. And that's what drove Paul to serve God so strongly and powerfully in his life. Paul's thanksgiving began and ended with Jesus Christ because he loved Jesus. Because he loved Jesus, his thanksgiving was more than just a listing of his possessions and comforts. It was a declaration of how much God had done in his life. Why why are you so selfish? Kung Fu grip on your possessions? White knuckle ride through life, meeting it out in portions. Your forgiveness, you hold on to things you don't want to let go. 
You want people to know you're upset with them. (laughs) Nobody wants to be around you. People are tired of you. By the way, I've switched seats with you. (laughs) I'm speaking to me. That's not Christ in action. You're not a living sacrifice. You haven't sacrificed anything. You're, you're letting everyone know that you're still on the throne of your bitterness. Why haven't you let it go? Why do we have to endure your endless excuses? You, you need to forget, I know, but. And we have to go through your endless litany of why you don't serve the Lord. We have to go through your endless litany of all the reasons why the church has hurt you and people have hurt you. And we look and we say, wait a minute. Does somebody owe you something? Yes. I'm owed a pension. I'm owed a retirement. I'm owed something. Be careful. Do you really want what you're owed? Because if you realize the debt you owed and what's been forgiven, you will love much. He who owes much, he who's been forgiven much loves much. Do you understand what God has forgiven you? And listen, I know every one of us in this room has been hurt, and I know there's memories that nobody wants to revisit. I get that. But if God has promised in a fallen world where sin and pain exist, that he'll use it together for good, and he'll create it as an instrument to develop you so that you can let go of the past and hold on to the future, you'll never be able to change the past, but you can change the future. You got lousy parents. You don't get to pick the parents you get in this world, but you can pick the kind of parent you're going to be. And gratitude towards the Lord of putting you on a path to make it all count. Isn't that a little more pleasant than standing up in front of a thousand people and telling everyone why you hate your parents? Can't we just let it go? Paul was shipwrecked, beaten. Three times shipwrecked. The fourth time he's going into another shipwreck. And this is what he wrote to the church at Philippi. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. See, that's a life of gratitude. I find the strength to go on in life to serve others with endless zeal and joy, And I find it only in Christ, my Savior, who has forgiven me so much. And I love him so much. Is thankfulness just a feeling to you? Or is it translated itself to gratitude? And if so, if we were putting you on trial for being a person of gratitude, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or... Or are people going to recount all the stories they've heard you share about why life has dealt you a bowl full of lemons? I know stories in this room that would n- gag a maggot. <laughs> and they're, they're represented in the entirety of the room of things so painful you can't even imagine. And you have no idea because the person that you're sitting next to whose story I know is one of the most grateful people you'll have ever met. And all you can see is what Jesus has done in and through them. And they're typically the ones who are serving you. 
And that's what God wants us to do when he says, I beseech you, therefore. It's time to die to ourselves and live to Christ. Amen? Amen. Abby, where are you? Did she leave? Is she still here? It took me 40 minutes to do what you did in eight. (laughs) You nailed it, girl. Well done. Let's give her another round of applause. Join with me as I pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to minister to us. And Lord, I know there's a lot of heartache in the room. But Lord, the bitterness and the anger and the hatred is just a result of our unwillingness to forgive as we've been forgiven. He who's been forgiven much loves much. You've called us to love. We need to let it go. Holy Spirit, as you search our hearts and our minds, you know exactly who it is you're touching. I don't, you do. Lord, do an abiding work in their lives. God, replace the bitterness with thankfulness and gratitude. Let them realize that you've worked it together for good. Their future is one in your hands and that we're gonna live a life of service to the God we love because he's forgiven us so much. We realize that we have been forgiven so much and so God, we wanna love that much. Help us, Lord. We thank you for what you've done this day and continue to do and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.